Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends get drunk and talk about gruesome murders. Each week we pick a different drink whose name or ingredients set the tone for our stories. Hey guys, it's Drea. It's Jackie. And we are doing a really cool episode because this is our one year anniversary episode. 52. Can you believe it? I can't really. <laughs> I like always dreamed that we'd get here, but wasn't sure if we'd get here. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's hard to work out the schedule. It's yeah, it's super hard. Um, but it's been so much fun. And for this episode, we are covering the cases of Tupac and Biggie. Big cases. Big, 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 big cases. I think we kind of want to put a ca- caveat on this from the beginning that this is going to be tangity. It's probably going to be super long. Yeah. I didn't think I was this intense about this case. I don't think I knew all the details. See, I feel like here's here's the difference between... I learned so much about... So we split it up. I did Tupac, you did Biggie. Mm-hmm. And I learned so much about Tupac that I didn't really know about Tupac. And then like little flashes of like, oh, I'd heard that. Yeah. Uh, but I spent way less time on the actual murder. Okay. And I feel like there's still so much there. Because mm-hmm. there's a million. There's like, no one really knows what happened. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of conspiracy theories. Both cases are unsolved currently. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're, they're pretty much solved, but they don't have enough evidence to take it to court yeah and to get a convict conviction um but right off the top guys we wanted to tell you something sit down we love you it's not you it's it's us we still love each other <laughs> um we're still really good friends um but doing a podcast is very time consuming there's a lot of effort that goes in on the back end it's so much fun i it- I think you guys have noticed sometimes we don't make it on time on Mondays. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Unfortunately, we are not making enough profit from the podcast to uh, make this our full-time gig. We still have to have full-time gigs to pay our our bills, unfortunately. Bills, Um, bills, bills. Bills, bills, bills. Uh, And I'm finishing up school, and I really need to... It's your last semester, so I kind of always like, (laughs) you seem a little, you know, stressed out. It's hard getting the schedule always lined up. So we kind of said, why don't we take November and December off? Mm-hmm. It's holiday. It gets really busy at, at you know, work. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a nice little de-stress for me. And you're going to be crazy stressed out because you've got not only crazy work, but also school. Crazy finals. Yeah. And we aren't just taking December and November off. It's also October and part of September. Correct. Yes. <laughs> I say that because of how far out they come. Our but. plan is to come back in, dis- uh, in January. We're going to mm-hmm. bang a bunch of episodes while we're taking this break. Um, but we are, you know, enjoying our time with you guys. And we hope that we get oh, to come sure. back. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll definitely continue still doing stuff. Um, what, what we wanted to do is create a little bank and buffer so mm-hmm. that it's not having to squeak everything out on a weekly basis, but we will have already had. Yeah. So that things come out on time for yeah. you guys. That way it's a better episode and you get better better social media blasts and better just editing all that stuff. All, all the jazz. Um, so we just wanted to tell you guys that up front. You'll still see stuff on Instagram. You'll still, yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll every once in a while throw something out there I'm, for you. I'm sure I will take a plane ride again before the end of the year. And we'll have a nice little story to follow. <laughs> and you can watch me get stuck in SFO <laughs> as always. Oh my God. Um, 
but we're going to jump into the case. But first, Jackie, why are we doing martinis again? We were trying to land on what drink we wanted to do for the one year. We're like 52, one year, anniversaries, up, blah, blah. And we just kind of kept going in circles. We couldn't really land on anything. And then at one point, I think I was like, I kind of just want to do martinis again. And you were like, I want to just do martinis again. But neither of us really wanted to say it because we'd already done it. Yeah. And then we went, we can do whatever we want. This is our show. <laughs> so our, I know that my story has no tie to the martini. Oh, nor does mine. Yeah. No, we yeah. just wanted to drink martinis for the one year and talk about a story that we found interesting. Yeah. And we are actually using the gin from New Basin again. That's it's called right. we Stagger, stagger gin. gin. I mean, Stagger, that could kind of, both of our people staggered away. From- gin and juice gin and juice yeah we got we got some connections there um but yeah again if you're ever in central oregon definitely go check out new basin out in madras they are some rad dudes for sure um okay so we didn't really talk about format so we're gonna fly by our bootstraps right now this will be a weird episode but hopefully you like it (laughs) um jackie you want to kick it off with tupac and i'll jump in later i'm gonna kick it off all right so tupac amaru shakur was born on june 16th 1971 in harlem New York City. Oh, wow. He's from New York. Did you know that that wasn't even his name? No, it's Tupac. It is not. What? He was originally born, I don't know how to say it, Lisanne Parrish Crooks. Is that after the king? So when his mom, like, when he was born, his mom, uh, I looked up, I don't don't want to say her name, Afaini? I think it's Afaini. Okay. Um, when his mom, Afani Shakur, was only, she had just a month prior been acquitted of 150 charges of conspiracy against the United States government and New York landmarks. Mm-hmm. Um, so Afani Shakur and his biological father, Billy Garland, they were both active members in the Black Panther Party. Which so is, is crazy. Is in New York in the 60s and 70s, they're active uh, members and so she's just gotten out of all this trouble. She has Tupac. She names him something else. And then when he's about a year old, his mother renames him Tupac Amaru, or after Tupac Amaru II, who was an 18th century Peruvian revolutionary. Gotcha. Um, who was executed after like leading an uprising. Yeah. So he does. So she renames him with this like very meaningful name. And then this is a quote from her: "I wanted him to have the name of a revolutionary." indigenous people in the world i wanted him to know he was a part of world culture and not just from a neighborhood nice i like that so a lot of people growing up in hit like he's very much enmeshed in he's got people from the black liberation army hanging out like his uh his mom remarries and his stepfather is avid in the black panther party his godfather's avid in the black panther party um there's this was one i almost did for a story for a previous episode, I can't... So, there's a woman named um, Asada Shakur, who's not related. And she... There's, like, bank robberies and people died. She fled to Cuba. There's, like, all this other stuff. Um, but basically, it just kind of paints the picture that he did not grow up in what people consider, like, a normal... Yeah. Up, a stable like, It was very yeah. political... Um, there were marches, like later on, he's in an interview saying like, there were times like he was hot and cold with his mom. And he said, there were times when I felt like she was there for everybody but me. Mm -hmm. It was about people 
but not her people. Yeah. And she was just not around. She was always just leading the charge and a part of, you know, marches and being at meetings and all sorts of other stuff. And I read Um, that she... I don't know for how long, but she got addicted to crack. That does, okay, yes, come that back. does okay, happen. Yeah. yeah. So um, they move in 1986, they move from New York to Baltimore. And then he kind of grows up in Baltimore. He went through, I think, two years of like regular high school in Baltimore. And then he transfers to the Baltimore School for the Arts. And he studies acting, poetry, jazz, ballet. Um, he's in Shakespearean plays. Uh, he performs in the Nutcracker, like things you would not, if you're kind of unaware of Tupac's story, you wouldn't think that that's part of his history. Um, he's super popular in school. He's attractive. He's charming. He's funny. Um, he kind of is also a little political and kind of outspoken. Um, and he's rapping in that time. So like kids who went to high school with him are like, dude, he was the best rapper in school, obviously. <laughs> um, but so he's, he's popular there. And it's at this art school that he meets Jada Pinkett. Oh, no way. So we've talked about this, right? We have? I feel like you and I have talked about this. Okay. So Jada Pinkett, who people know as Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith's wife. So they're high school students together at this art college, and they are besties. Besties, besties. Um, They both... So there's footage... So there's a really great documentary called Tupac Resurrection, that is a t- like it's kind of spoken through his voice it's all using recordings from him and interviews spliced together um it's just kind of well done so in that documentary um like he's quoted as saying like jada is my heart she will be my friend my whole life we will be old together Aww. um and she like she's also on record as saying like um he was one of my best friends he was like a brother it was beyond friendship for us um the type of relationship we had you only get that once in a lifetime oh um, so they both spoke very highly of each other yeah. their whole lives. When did she meet Will Smith? Uh, like she later? meets later. Okay. So then, uh, like, there's a poem that he wrote titled Jada that appears in one of his books. Um, the Rose That Grew From Concrete is a poem he dedicated to her. Oh. Um, so there's footage of Tupac and Jada lip syncing like green screen behind them terrible graphics you can tell it's like at a grad night and they're lip syncing to parents just don't understand from will smith <laughs> and it is really funny what is it that's because awesome. then like she later got my yeah. you know got famous and met will and now they're married and have kids and that's they're super crazy famous. yeah <gasps> isn't that funny what a small world it is so and i feel like there was another friend from that high school so he creates these friendships but then in 1988 his family moves from baltimore to marin city so marin if you think of the bay it's north bay like sausalito i think of it as like super affluent Mm -hmm. um but then like some of the footage they were showing um i don't think all of marin city is like really affluent i think there's it's kind of a, a mixed bag but so he goes to tamalpais high school so i think that's where he finishes up and graduates um in one of his poetry classes, he meets um, Leela Steinberg. So this is in like 1989 that he gets has a class with her. Um, and she's really politically active. She wants him to like go and talk to other students and like travel. And she's like, this, this kid is so smart and he's so worldly and he has a really unique perspective. Um, and what he's saying is important. I want to share that message with people. 
And at the same time, she's also a little bit worried like he might fall in with the wrong crowd. So she reaches out to this guy. I don't know how she knew him, but she reaches out to this guy, Atron Gregory. Mm-hmm. And he was managing a group uh, in the Bay called the Digital Underground. Okay. And so then in like 1990, so they kind of like, she talks to him, they talk to the band and the band's like, yeah, and they're kind of familiar with him because they had done a concert like he had a rap group and they were performing at the same so they were familiar with him and she was like i really think you guys should like have him be a roadie like have him carry boxes and like be a backup dancer just like put him to work yeah and they were like i don't dude's a great rapper i don't know that he's gonna want to do that um then like immediately they get a phone call from tupac and he's like i'm down let's do this like he's (laughs) like i'll I'll pay my dues yeah yeah so you can go and you will see in the music video for the Humpty Dance is your chance to do. Like, he's just smiling and dancing in the background. <laughs> he's just like a background dancer. Oh, that's so cool. So then he gets some popularity there. He does, uh, they, they do a song together where they like let him rap on it. He's featured in a video. I think he has like a little cameo in a movie. Um, and from that, and they, all, they always kind of knew. They're like, we're kind of a weird band. We're really comical. We're super into funk. We always knew we weren't really his scene but it was beneficial at the time i think they kind of split ways in very amicable yeah um, in a very amicable way but so then in november of 1991 he releases his first album and that's tupacalypse now and uh there's no like hit singles that come from it um but critics are they give it a lot of acclaim uh that's it has uh Brenda, Brenda has a baby, mm-hmm. and there's another song or two on there. Like, so the whole thing is very um, social injustice and uh, political, you know, political in nature. It's about the life of a young black man. Like he said, I made an album, and every single song was a, it was it was true true to me. And whether it was things that happened to me or things that happened to people that I saw, but that's the story that I was telling. Um. So he gets a lot of notoriety over that. And in 1991, so he's famous at this point. He's not like super, super famous, but he's famous. He's uh, walking through the streets of Oakland and he is jaywalking. So basically they go to like give him a hard time for jaywalking. Oh, the police. And are super aggressive with him. Push him to the ground, smash up his face. Um, So he ends up suing the city of Oakland for $10 million. And he's like, this is, and it's like right around the same time as Rodney King. Mm -hmm. And like, there's interviews with him where he's like, I know I'm not going to get the, like Rodney, it's on video what happened. And it still went the way that it went. And he's still trying to like appeals and all of that. And he's like, but this is great. Like you can't treat people this way. And I'm, so he took it for a while and then eventually settled out of court with them. And I think he got, $43,000 $43,000 that essentially just covered his attorney's mm-hmm. fees. Um, he's like, I'm just going to go into court over it. Um, but he'll be an interview. Like, he'll show, like, where all the scars are, yeah. where his face got smashed. He's, like, over jaywalking. Yeah. They they beat him up really bad yes, over they that. Did. Yeah. So then in 1992, so this is in Marin City, where he had lived for a handful of years, um, he's performing at this, like, outdoor festival. And you, you we had talked about this briefly. You're familiar with this part of the story? Keep going and I'll okay, jump so in. So he's at this outdoor festival. Um, he stays afterwards and he's like signing autographs and doing pictures with people. And then there's a confrontation between somebody and Tupac. He legally has a registered Colt Mustang handgun. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so the story is that he, in this confrontation, 
drops his gun. Yeah. It, he's like notorious for not being able to handle his gun. Really, He's like not good at handling <laughs> guns <laughs> is what I got from one. Just yeah. goes to pull it out. It like fumbles out of his yeah, hands. Yeah. Um, it's picked up by a member of his entourage uh, and, a, and it's fired. Mm-hmm. Travels across the way and hits a six-year-old boy and the boy dies. So then uh, they match the bullet to his gun. There's all it goes through this whole like rigmarole, and ultimately, no charges are really filed. And they go, we know where it came from. It seems like an accident. We're not gonna, and it just kind of because the family never pressed charges, it, right? Uh, eventually, the family sues him. Oh, okay. So they don't go after criminal charges, but they sue him. Okay. Um, because he's famous, and because you said there were no witnesses or nobody. Would, there are witnesses, but nobody no one would talk. Will, no one will talk. Yeah, everyone didn't see anything. Or... I was thinking maybe they settled out of court or something. They did settle out of court. Okay. So yeah, basically, the family's coming after Tupac, saying there's a lot of lying going on. No one really knows what the truth is, but ultimately, it is your gun, mm-hmm. and her son is dead. Mm-hmm. So he settles out of court. Uh, he agrees to pay somewhere between like three hundred and five hundred thousand dollars to the family. Ugh. Um, so that's in like 92. So then around this same time, he's in movies. So in that same year, in 1992, he's in the movie Juice. Have you seen the movie Juice? I don't think so. It's good. Really? I feel like I like caught it flipping on TV or maybe like it was in like HBO and I was just like, oh, okay. What's it about? I don't even know. It's it's about, about, um, I feel like I saw it a long time ago. It's kids they're in high school it's like him i think omar epps is in it um they're like good bad kids okay and tupac go like he's kind of like the bad the bad voice in their group of friends Mm -hmm. and then he ends up being like a real sociopath and it's like these kids trying to be like dude i think our friend is crazy yeah but then like it's also street culture and street vibe where you're not gonna rat on some but like he plays this very, like, he was good in it. Yeah. Um. So Juice comes out, and then he's in. Because he had acting classes when he was yeah. in high school. Okay. Yep. Yeah. He's in Juice. Then he's in uh, Poetic Justice in, like, 1993. That was with, uh, what's her face? Janet Jackson. Oh. Which they keep, like, there's a bunch of interviews. Like, the show we were watching touched on it, like, it's a dramatized version of it. But there's an interview that he did. There's a really great interview he did with an MTV um I don't think she was a VJ. I think she was like MTV News investigative journalism. Tabitha Jones, maybe, uh-huh. but Tabitha. Um, and a bunch of the stuff in the documentaries, they always pull clips from that interview because it was just a really, they like hung out all day and they're like walking down the Santa Monica Pier and they're like in this, like, it's just full of really great little gems from him. Yeah. But so uh, he tells her that when he's in the movie with Janet, at, at some point, they come knocking on his trailer and they're like, hey, because there's going to be a sex scene. And they're like, um, you, you have to take an HIV test. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. And he's like, that's crazy. That's like, no one shooting movies. We're not having sex with each other. Yeah. I don't need to have an HIV test. And they're like, well, y- you do, though. And, like, four different people came. Like, the director came by. The producer came by. He's like, they sent some black guy who they thought, like, that would maybe would, like, be able to convince me. Um, and he's like, if I get to really have sex with Janet Jackson, I'll take four tests. But I'm not. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. So I'm not going to. Yeah. Um, and then he, like, talks about how he's like, we'd play around on set. Like, he, he's like, I totally thought I was friends with Janet Jackson. And he goes, literally the day we wrapped, he's like, I went to call her. It was like, this is not a phone line anymore. 
And he's like, dude, like, it, because she was did not want to be my friend. Oh, you could tell it like kind of hurt his feelings. Yeah, I mean, when did that like you yeah. spent months and months and months on a movie yes. together? Yeah, thinking that you've built this relationship, whether like, friendship or what. Yeah, yeah you know, whatever. Meanwhile, he's like dropping a couple albums. Each album is getting commercially more successful than the last. And as they progress, there's a little bit more of a duality to the album. So they go from the first album, which is kind of all about social injustice and the story of the inner city and all that, to now he'll have albums where it'll have Keep Your Head Up, which is a super empowering social justice song. And then like I Get Around, which is all about like fucking bitches and hoes. <laughs> And, and like he's really like in the interviews he'll be kind of clear about like he's like I'm not calling all women hoes I'm not calling all women bitches he's like I've got songs about what like he's like keep your head up it's about my mom it's about my sister it's about these proud black women yeah. he goes but there's also women out there that just want your money he goes if they're if they're dating dudes and they're only dating dudes for their money he goes that's a hoe yeah okay I'm gonna interrupt you yeah um because I need to fill in the rest of the story I need to tell you about Biggie. Biggie, biggie, biggie. Can't you see? Sometimes. Your love just hypnotize me. And I just love your flashy ways. Okay. You're getting a little breath- breathy like that other podcast. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Don't bring that up. Here's a little Easter egg for you guys. I had forgotten. If someone finds it, I had, I'll be so impressed. <laughs> I had forgotten that I did a, a voiceover for another podcast. Like yeah. the intro. I did, you the, did intro, the intro to another podcast. And I had completely forgot about it until I put it on just randomly one day to see what it was all about. And I heard my own <laughs> voice, but it wasn't my voice. It's it was crazy. You are doing a voice. It is. <laughs> I can't tell you how hard I laughed. <laughs> Why do you think I you texted you? <laughs> you texted me and Kelly that you'd found it. And I was like, give me the name of this podcast right now. And I almost peed. I almost peed. I was laughing so hard uh. at this version of you somebody called it i'll give you guys a hint somebody called it a sexy robot voice yeah yeah, yeah. you were you were channeling scarlett johansson <laughs> oh i'll take it um okay so jackie i'm gonna tell you about christopher george latour wallace aka biggie smalls aka biggie aka the notorious big which do you know what big stands for big no but yes (laughs) so in an interview biggie said that it's used to stand for business instead of game but now it stands for bullet in the gut oh yeah a little bit different yeah yeah um right up top i'm gonna cite some sources um i got a lot of my information from this article called uh, how tupac and biggie went from friends to deadly rivals by ben westoff um, biography.com has an amazing article. Biography.com has some great stuff. It was so in-depth. Like, if you want to go read some stuff, go to biography.com. Mm-hmm. I feel like I got some Houdini stuff off of there. Um, Wikipedia, of course. And I've been talking about it all week. The show called Unsolved, The Murders of Tupac and the Notorious B.I.G. Star-studded. So amazing. There's so many actors So in many. That. The guy from Westworld slash Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm blanking now. <laughs> yeah, Josh Duhamel. Mm-hmm. Josh Duhamel. I don't know who that is. 
the main cop in the future handsome. okay yeah yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> what's up uh, but this was released in 2017 and i don't remember hearing about no it no one's at saying all. boo about it but this is the thing on imdb it's gotten like 4935 reviews and it's like Maybe at we a, live under rocks i think so but it is so amazing i binged through all 10 episodes and it's dramatized a bit but essentially everything that they cover they, in they all take the episodes facts and yeah. they, they weave it all in like yeah. i could see parts of interviews i'd seen with tupac woven into the story mm-hmm. of things that it was good i've only seen an episode so good so good so good highly recommend it uh if you want to watch something on netflix yeah um so we're gonna jump right in so christopher is born on may 21st of 1972 at saint mary's hospital in brooklyn new york so he's over in brooklyn uh, his parents are from Jamaica. Um, his mother's name is Valetta Wallace, and she's a preschool teacher. And his uh, father is a small-time politician and welder, and his name is uh, Slowin George Latour. Um, and Christopher um, only gets to live with his father until he's two years old because his father ends up leaving. Um, and so that leaves his mother to kind of fend for the family herself. He's an only child, but she works two jobs. She tries to put him through private school to try to get him off the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes to the Queen of All Saints Middle School, where he gets excellent grades in English, and he wins some awards for writing. I, I got the sense that both of them grew up with families that cared, mothers specifically, mm-hmm. that cared to put them into very specific type of schooling. Yes. Yeah, because I think especially for Biggie's mother coming from Jamaica, she was all about making sure he got into school, Mm -hmm. stayed in school and got a job that could make something of himself here in America. Uh, So by by the age of 10, he is overweight and his friends start nicknaming him Big. Uh, Growing up, Christopher sees a lot of neighborhood drug addicts and meets drug dealers. And by the age of 12, he starts dealing drugs. And his mother, she's she's making it enough money to make ends meet but i think he's just trying to hustle and trying to get extra pocket money mm-hmm. at this point and his mother doesn't know he's doing this yeah um so he then attends george westinghouse career and technical education high school for most of his high school he went to one before briefly but this is where he ended up and this school would eventually have alumni including rappers dmc jay-z buster rhymes dude isn't that crazy that's kind of crazy um and biggie just starts having the smart ass attitude and he still does very well in school though have you seen those old tapes of him like on the street just like rap battling people no dude cool talented from young Yeah, yeah that's awesome uh, by the age of 17, he drops out of high school and he starts getting into more crime. Um, he's arrested in Brooklyn in 1989 on weapons charges and he's sentenced to five years of probation. Um, he's again arrested in 1990 for... Five years is a... That's a long time. That's a long time for probation. probation. Yeah. Yeah. You do anything out of line, especially at that time. That's a long time to just be walking the straight and narrow. Yeah. If that's not your natural tendency. Don't jaywalk. Yeah. 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 So he gets arrested again in 1990 for violating his probation for drug dealing in North Carolina uh, and spends the next nine months in jail before making bail. Hmm. Um, and then, so throughout this time, Biggie's rapping and he's just doing it to kind of entertain people in his mm-hmm. neighborhood. And after he gets out of jail, he makes a demo tape called Microphone Murderer uh, under the name Biggie Smalls, yeah. which is kind of cool because he got the name biggie smalls from a movie called let's do it again and it's this old 1975 movie and it's this like gang leader who's like in the movie who's named biggie smalls oh that's i don't i didn't know that yeah so he saw it and he's like i like it i like it so um 
But Biggie never intended to become a rapper full time. He was just kind of doing it for fun. He yeah. said that he just liked He's hustling. His, yeah, you know, well, he said he liked his voice on the microphone and like over beats. You know who else likes their voice on a microphone? Who? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I forgot. <laughs> I didn't. At, at first oh it took a year to get you there <laughs> oh my god so when we first started recording this podcast we, we were like did not care oh for god i don't think we could do this this sounds awful and I, then, the moment it clicked for you is when we had to borrow audio equipment from phil for uh-huh. our live show which was what nine months later <laughs> yeah we're sitting in kimberly's garage hooking it all up checking it you got to hear it you got to hear your voice amplified mm. live with you in the room and <laughs> You became a different person. I was like a parakeet looking into a mirror. I was like, what's up? You kept just saying things. It was so funny. Um, yeah, if you guys ever have the opportunity to speak into a microphone that's Amplifying amplified. voices, Ooh, yeah. So I you like understand, it. Biggie. Oh, I get it. I That, that stuck with me, actually. Um, so this mixtape actually ends up at the source magazine and they become so impressed by the source his... and bend no stop it i knew you were gonna say that <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> it's a little bit bigger than that yeah. um, but they become so impressed with his mixtape that they profile biggie and their unsigned hype column in march that's of... rad that that exists isn't that cool that's really cool yeah. imagine being unsigned and yeah. being featured mm-hmm because you're just passing out mixtapes. That's so cool. Um, so they signed, or they put him in this column, column in March of 1992. And then from there, Biggie starts getting invited to record with other unsigned rappers. Um, so if in case you haven't heard Biggie's music, mm-hmm. he has this really heavy, funky, rhythmic tone. Mm-hmm. And his songs include mafia tales. They talk about him being a drug dealer. He brings humor into his songs. And he also has like a romantic side too. Um, but he's not as political mm-hmm. as Tupac. Uh, so Biggie quickly gets the attention of Sean John Combs, a.k.a. Puff Daddy, a.k.a. P. Diddy, a.k.a. Puffy, a.k.a. Diddy. That's it? No more? There's probably more, but I ran out of... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? It's a lot of nicknames. It's a lot of nicknames. Okay. So Diddy at this time is an AR, A&R executive and producer who works for Uptown Records. So Diddy arranges a record deal for Biggie, but a year after Biggie signs his recording contract, Diddy has like a falling out with his boss. Okay. And he ends up leaving. Yeah. So Diddy decides to open up his own operation, and he calls it Bad Boy Records. Bad and, boy life. <laughs> and the day after it's founded, Biggie is signed with Diddy. Got it. So uh, Biggie receives his major break on a remix of Mary J. Blige's Real Love. The song reached number seven on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Biggie and Blige join forces again on What's the 411 remix. I like Mary J. Blige. <laughs> I do. She was just in that movie. I haven't seen it yet. There was like Oscar buzz about her. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember if she got nominated for stuff. Like, she had a very good performance in a movie recently. Oh, I'll have to check yeah. it out. Um, okay, so in June of 1993, the labor... Labor... What is... The martinis are kicking in. <laughs> I can tell. Uh, okay. Fuck. I gotta, I gotta hurry. I gotta chase this martini. <laughs> I feel like time... Time is a flat circle. <laughs> it's like a circle. <laughs> I don't think rushing through it gets it any less drunk. Oh, yeah. You think so? No. <laughs> okay. Because it wears off. No, I know, but if you rush before you get to the peak... Are you at the, I think you've already peaked. I'm peaking right now. 
<laughs> oh no. <laughs> We were doing so well. Okay. I miss Kimberly. I I feel like she'd really be enjoying this. Um, Okay. Welcome back. In June of 1993, the label releases the Notorious B.I.G.'s first single as a solo artist, Party and Bullshit. And he had to change his name to the Notorious B.I.G. because there was a lawsuit because the, uh, the name Biggie Smalls was already taken. From the movie. Yeah. And so... Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So on uh, August 8th of 1993, Biggie's longtime girlfriend, so it's a little bit in the future now, gives birth to his first child, uh, Tiana. He continued selling drugs after the birth to support his daughter financially. But once Diddy found out, he was like, mm-mm-mm. You're done. You're, You're rapper done. now. You, you, can't, you can't do that. Because imagine buying drugs from a very well-known rapper. That's kind of insane. That would be insane. Because I heard Tupac would go to house parties all the time. Tupac Could you... would go to house parties, but Tupac never sold... Here's the difference there. Yeah. Tupac never sold drugs. He sold okay. drugs for, according to him, one week. And everyone, like, mercilessly made fun. Like, he was bad at it. <laughs> kind of like with him and guns. Yeah, yeah. I like, like all, in, from what I've gathered, all of that is very much a show. Doesn't sound yeah. like he can handle a gun. Mm-hmm. Couldn't really, like... This is a kid from art school. Yeah. Who is very in tune. Like, he's just smart and mm-hmm. he's observant and he sees what's going on and he can speak to it very uh, poetically. Yeah. Yeah, but not like the drug. Like, I, there was a thing I saw where Biggie's mom, when, what's the song that he has? That's like, I grew up in a one room. Uh-huh. Like, and she's like, no, you didn't. Yeah. I provided for you. Yeah, I like, gave you everything. She took major issue with that. She, she in an interview, she was like, as you can see, he was never wanting food. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like the mother's burn. Yeah. Kind of like, yeah. yeah. So they, there's, they, there's I would, definitely some like you're painting, a, you're telling mm-hmm. a story. It's art. It's, yeah. Yeah. Even for Biggie, he was definitely, he had this persona. Yeah. And like he lived up to that persona. And I think even, he did deal drugs. I think that is a true part yeah, of the story. Yeah, yeah. But not to... He wasn't a gangbanger to the extent of some mm-hmm. other people, but I think they definitely put on this, like, more hard. Because, like, as we get into it, the whole West Coast, uh, East Coast yeah. vibe, both of them didn't want it to keep going. It no. got it out of control. No. Um, I would say even Diddy at one point, you know, he wasn't as hard as, like, Suge Knight. Yeah. Yeah. Did, yeah, Diddy is... He's more of a businessman in that way. Mm-hmm. He's more, like... Because, again, he came from... He had a job at a record company. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's always kind of understood that business. Suge Knight was kind of... He wasn't a thug through, like... Suge Knight, to give a brief little history of him, uh, like, high school football player. Like, he was a football player. Yeah. And, was he in the NFL for a hot second? Yeah. And he, but like, he, he never got jerseys or anything he like that. He stayed yeah. out of trouble because he was busy with sports. Mm-hmm. But he always had, like, you know, troubled people around him. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as he got out of football, and he had like, he had some money... That was when he was like, I'm going to make money. I'm going to be this, like, baller gangster. I'm going to... I mean, he owned clubs. He owned, yeah. like... He went very much towards the flashy, intimidate people. Different than Puffy. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to jump right in. So Biggie and Tupac are about to meet. So Biggie's single, Party and Bullshit, is going off the charts. It's everywhere. Even to the point that Tupac hears it. 
and he loves it. Yeah. He is on the set of Poetic Justice at this point. That's the movie with Janet. Yes. And he cannot not play it on set. And like to the point where his coworkers are like, stop. Like we don't want to hear it anymore. You know when one of those bangers is out Uh and you just want to play it all the time. Yes. Oh yeah. Repeat constantly. Um, And so Take my horse to the hotel hotel room. room. (laughs) Not the lyrics. Such a bad song. Gonna ride. (laughs) So Biggie comes out to LA to do some business <clears throat> and uh, while he's there he hears that Tupac kind of is listening to is his music it? yeah so he's like yo I want to meet him so he has a local friend who's like a drug dealer and like throws wicked good house parties and he's like hey I know you know Tupac like hook it up like let's meet him and so he's like done deal so he throws a house party Tupac's invited and comes Biggie comes with his crew and they just throw a bunch of meat on the barbecue. They smoke a bunch of weed and they're just hanging out and they're having a great time. And at one point, like Tupac, like gifts a bottle of Hennessy to Biggie and Tupac brings out this duffel bag full of like handguns and like machine guns and they're not loaded. But if you could kind of paint the picture for yourself, they're both 21. Their crew is like really young 20s as well. They're all high. They have these guns that aren't loaded and then they just start play fighting in the backyard the way that that show on netflix uh-huh. like it's like they're running around with nerf guns yeah but they're like real yeah automatic weapons which really paints a picture to like they're young they're young boys with all this money mm-hmm. all this power and you could kind of it's kind of like foreshadowing to see like they don't know how to handle it no yeah um, but anyways, that's that's the moment that Biggie and Tupac became friends. That's so funny. Um, so they start hanging out, and every time Biggie goes to California, he sleeps on Tupac's couch. And when Tupac goes to New York, he hangs out with Biggie and They're like friends. Yeah, and like people in his neighborhood, like Tupac will pick up Biggie in a limo, and they're playing dice with people in the streets. So Tupac at this point is a platinum-selling rapper and movie star, but he starts to mentor Biggie, and he lets him perform in his concerts. And Tupac claims to have directly influenced uh, Biggie's style, telling Biggie that, quote, if you want to make your money, you have to rap for the ladies. Do not rap for the gentlemen. The ladies will buy your records, and the gentlemen want what the ladies want. Or something to that effect. I might have changed some words. Yeah. That's really funny. I'll let you uh, figure out which words I change. (laughs) That's really funny. Um, But also probably good advice. Yeah, no, 100%. (laughs) That's why you get, like, uh, discounted ladies' drinks. Like, ladies' night, you bring the ladies, the men will follow. Not like the D&D that does guys' night. (laughs) Just sausage fest. (laughs) Which I guess is fun for some, but... Yeah. Um, So, Tupac also says... Have you seen Tupac interact with women in interview like no dude was smooth oh i bet <laughs> he was so smooth really it starts like the interview i was talking about where he's with like tabitha whatever from mtv she is this uptight girl lady woman who's interviewed like she's there for her job but she's interviewing him and like you can tell she can tell she's just so straight laced and she's taking it incredibly seriously but as it goes on like he breaks her down like that's the day long interview yeah Yeah. they are laughing (laughs) and like it gets to a point when when they're walking down the street and he checks some girl out as they're walking and she's like Tupac and he's like dude I've been in jail for 11 months and he's like don't worry I've been looking you up and down too like and like she's like giggling (laughs) like he's very smooth yeah yeah oh Tupac (laughs) um so 
So, so Tupac says that he influences Biggie, and he can really see it from the recording of Party and Bullshit to softer songs like Big Papa. Mm. So he kind of changes his mentality there. So he gets more of the ladies, and then the men will follow. However, Biggie wants his success to like come faster, and he's at this point he's mentoring with Diddy, and um, so he. Biggie actually asked Tupac to become his mentor, mentor, and kind of take him away from Diddy, and like tu- professionally, like professionally, set it, yeah, yeah, yeah. mentor, because he's like, I'm not, I want to be like you, you, you hit everything so fast, your movies yeah. already, but Tupac actually declines the offer, saying, Nah, stay with Puff, he will make you a star. I love this. Isn't that awesome? I really like that because it's like. That's bad blood if you're taking someone away, you know? And, he's, and is, he also sees that Diddy has the resources and the vision to get him to Diddy where he's Diddy has going. a different role. Yeah. Diddy is a mentor. Has, uh, yeah. That's saying, like, I've done it personally myself. You know, like, I can't necessarily coach you how to do what I did. I'm mm-hmm. just being myself. And I, I don't know. I like that. Yeah. Um. So, Tupac, this is a little bit... Uh, time goes by. So Tupac is in New York to film the movie um, Above the Rim. Okay. This is in 1994. And he starts hanging out with this like local gang to kind of like get the mentality going in mm-hmm. his mind to get ready for the role. Um, and this is when he meets um, Jock's Haitian Jack agent, agent at a club. And agent? She, uh, A-G-N-A-N-T. Oh, I don't know. Okay. There. So to just segue real quick off of that. In interviews, Tupac will say, because people were like, you were so good in these movies. Mm-hmm. What is, like, what is, because he went to acting, like, not acting school, but he went to art school and he had acting classes. Um, and you could characterize it as method, but not really. So method where you're just like, I am the character and only refer to me as the character's mm-hmm. name and I'm going to be them yeah, while forever. I'm in this, yeah. uh, you know, production. And his, his attitude was more like when he took on Juice, he was like, all right, let me get into the head of this person. I'm going to, they're going to become me. I'm yeah. going to become them. And not in a, it, it was just slightly different. But so he, he definitely, when he was in a role, took it seriously in a way that I think what you're about to say, where it was like, Almost got too real and kind of went off. Yeah. The edge. Well, I'll even tangent off your tangent. Yeah. Um, I was uh, there was like an interview with some of his friends that said I can't remember which movie it was, but after he saw one of the premieres of his movies, mm-hmm. he kind of took on that persona in real life. Yeah. For the rest of his life, like he was smooth and chill for a little bit, and after he saw that, he there was like a switch, and he wasn't the same. Yeah. Which is interesting. There was another similar comment from. Kevin Powell, I think, who was a um, a journalist who mm-hmm. was like friends with Tupac and known him for a long time, and he said that when Tupac came out of jail, so when jail when he mm. went to jail for a long time, yeah. like several months, almost a year maybe, when he came out, he goes that Tupac was different. Yeah, he went in a lot softer, a lot kinder, and when he came out, it was he was trying to because Death Row got him out of jail, they paid the mm-hmm. bail. And we'll get to all that. But he's like, when he came out, it was, he goes, I really questioned whether I ever really knew him, if this was who he always was, mm. and I didn't know him before, or if now who he's being is an act. Wow. Or maybe people do change. Or like, you change. Yeah. I, like, you know, there's interviews with him in prison where he doesn't seem different. He mm-hmm. seems still really introspective and... 
he was saying like when you go to jail everyone's like dude he's gonna come out with a bang an album like he's just gonna be writing and he's like i wrote one song in prison mm. he goes it is it takes your soul it's just deprivation of yeah all he, he was like there was yeah. no writing happening he goes i read a ton he yeah. was like but that was not inspiring in any way yeah Ugh. so but biggie knows haitian jack and his friends and he knows that they're bad dudes and so he tries to warn tupac to not associate with them but at the end of the day tupac doesn't listen mm-hmm. and i mean you could kind of see that with his rap like sheet too because he kind of gets into some trouble right correct so there's the i think we already talked about how he had the jaywalking incident which Mm -hmm. isn't really his fault i mean you shouldn't jaywalk but ultimately that all wasn't really him yeah um but then he starts getting into so he has the the gun the gun thing where the child you know accidentally dies in 1993 he's charged with one count so this is kind of pulled from wikipedia um he's charged with one count of felonious assault he was accused of attempting to hit rapper Chauncey Wynn from the group MAD with a baseball bat at a concert in Michigan State University. Jeez. The incident reportedly began when Tupac uh, became angry and threw a microphone. Then, So he pleads guilty in 94. It's a misdemeanor. He exchanges it for the felonious assault charge. He's sentenced to 30 days in jail. Um, 20 of them are suspended, so he gets essentially 10 days in jail with 35 hours of community service. So there's also like, there's a couple times where he goes into... He'll, he'll be in court and talking to the judge and actually, okay, well, that'll come up. That's a separate one. But so, uh, he gets that little sentence in October of 93, he gets into this altercation with some off duty police officers. So basically the police officers are out celebrating that somebody's passed the bar exam for Mm -hmm. like law school and the officers are drunk. They're in possession of stolen guns and The the officers are, um, as they're crossing the street, Tupac's in a car and drives and, like, almost hits them. So then there's, like, words. They're all upset. Um, a second car kind of goes by. Tupac shoots at... <gasps> he shoots one of the officers in the butt. Oh, my like, gosh. in the butt, in the leg. Tupac. Back, abdomen. Because, again, <gasps> he's just kind of like... Bah, 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 bah. Oh, God. Um, then... They, like, charge the car. There's all this investigation and stuff that goes on. Tupac gets arrested, charged with the shooting. They eventually drop all charges against everybody. Because the police officers Yeah, essentially they're like, yeah. uh, you know what? Sounds like <laughs> a miscommunication. Yeah. You got shot in the ass. <laughs> We're just not going to press. All right, cool. And it all kind of goes away. Then there's the big one. So in November of 93. So this is right. That was October. Okay. So November of 93. Um, and I'll kind of give you the dry version and then I'll kind of tell you like in interviews, kind of some I'll, I'll pepper in. So Tupac is in New York and he gets, um, charged with sexually assaulting a woman in a hotel room. Okay. Um, he denies the charges. According to him, he had had, uh, relations with the woman earlier. That night? Earlier that night. Uh, no, I think it was a different, I think it was a different day. Okay. I, I could be wrong on that one. So basically, I'll just kind of give you the synopsis that I gathered from like interviews that he said. So he's at a club and he's dancing Mm -hmm. and a woman gives him a blowjob on the dance floor. Whoa. Then then he's like, hey, like, let's keep hanging out. You seem cool. (laughs) I like your personality. (laughs) Yeah. So then, uh, but then, like, then, I, that's why I think it's a different night. So, like, that happens, but he has her contact info. 
Then they like reconnect and she comes up to the hotel. So they've mm-hmm. already had a consensual interaction with each other. Mm-hmm. He invites her up to this hotel room. So there's kind of conflicting stories. She's saying there's these other dudes in the hotel room mm-hmm. that are bad news. Haitian Jack is there. That's okay. One of them. Yeah. Yeah. And Tupac is saying, I'm kind of living a wild and crazy life. I don't always know who's around me. Literally, I'll be partying at a club and it's like, oh, dude, you got weed. You're cool to hang out with us. You got money. You're cool to hang. He's like, they just glom on. I'm famous. I'm partying. I don't know who everybody is and I don't know all their intentions. And we're all just hanging out and partying together. I'm not responsible for everybody's actions is kind of what he's saying. And he's also saying, like, some of the guys that are up in the hotel room, he's like, she knew them. I didn't know them. She knew them. So they have, I don't think they have sex in the hotel room, but that she's there. There's obviously drugs and alcohol going on. He falls asleep. He wakes up to her screaming at him is his story. Okay. And so according to Tupac, he left her in a bad situation. He's like, I'm definitely guilty of having a bad heart, being a bad guy, mm-hmm. not uh, of leaving someone in a situation I shouldn't have left them in. He goes, I'm I'm guilty of that. He's like, but I didn't sodomize her. I didn't do these other things that did have that like things did happen to her. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone really discounts that. Um he's saying it it wasn't me. I could have stopped it. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I'm selfish. Yeah. Um but he's looped, he's looped into the charges. Like she's saying he was a part of it. So it goes to trial. He's found guilty. Like not found guilty. Like he's found guilty of three counts, but mm-hmm. not six other Which counts. Which is crazy because all the other men who were in that room were mm-hmm. not up for trial. He was the only one who got charges against him from what I can gather. Yeah. yeah. And then you, and you, there's two ways to spin that. Do you go, it was him mm-hmm. and he's just lying? Mm-hmm. Or is it... You're probably not going to get out anything out of these other random dudes. You have mm-hmm. someone who has money who might settle out of court, who might, yeah. you know, you just, I don't, you really can't take it either way. You never want to say somebody's lying about something like that. Um, which, which I don't really know. I don't really think anyone is saying that. Yeah. Little aside to this, when mm-hmm. they were searching the hotel room, they found guns mm-hmm. that weren't registered to anybody there. And Tupac later claimed that they belonged to Biggie. Hmm. Yeah. Just a little aside. Was he just saying that, or do you think they did? I don't know. I mean, they were in New York, right? So yeah, I don't. I don't think Biggie was there. Guns at all. were yeah. everywhere. There's so yeah. many guns yeah. everywhere <laughs> all the time. It's so crazy. Okay, so I just, just thought it was like a weird little yeah. aside. Yeah. So I don't know how to take. I don't. He went to jail. Yeah. He served time because he he was sentenced to like four and a half years, right? And he served what eleven months, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, he was convicted of first-degree sexual abuse, acquitted of the weapons and sodomy charges. And from what I can gather from the um, Unsolved um, mm-hmm. movie thing on Netflix, is that he didn't, he wasn't allowed to be in Gen Pop. He had to get his own cell. So he was, like, alone for most of the time as well. Yeah. Which sucks. That old, yeah. There's, so he was on the Arsenio show, uh, uh, Arsenio Hall show. Remember, mm-hmm. like, hoo, hoo, hoo. Mm-hmm. No? <laughs> Like big flat top. It was a late night talk show. Okay. But anyway, so he's on the Arsenio Hall show and they're talking about it. And like he's kind of in the middle of it. So he's saying like, I can't say a lot of like my lawyers won't let me talk about it. And like there's still things happening. But Arsenio is kind of like asking questions. And at one point Tupac's like, I'm innocent of all charges and I'm hurt that, and this is a quote from him, 
I'm hurt that a woman would accuse me of taking something from her. I was raised surrounded by women. I would never take anything. Like, I don't, I don't need to and I don't do that. Yeah. And that, like, I think for him, if, if all that's true and if that's a true sentiment, that would be very jarring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you also have someone else saying that's not. Because at the end of the day, was she saying that he was participating or that he just left her in this bad situation? I think her story is that he was participating. Oh, okay. Okay, so then in 1994, so he has all, so he has the major trouble in 93 mm-hmm. and some other stuff before that. So in 94, um, he's found guilty of assaulting Alan Hughes. Alan Hughes is the co-director of Menace to Society, a major motion picture. So Tupac gets 15 days in jail. Um, and part of, so he goes on, he wants to be in this, he's in this movie and he's working on this movie. And then he has some issue with either the role that he has or the way they want him to play it or he's upset about whatever. And the director is like, you know what? He's fired. He's off the movie. Whoa. But then, but it's a business. So somebody comes and tells Tupac, like, you're not in the movie anymore. Yeah. And Tupac's like, that guy's a bitch. You got to, you you don't just get to fire me from afar. Like, he's not taking it like it's a job <laughs> yeah, and a normal yeah. thing. He's like, you got to come to my face and tell me that I don't like. <laughs> Does he show up every day then? So he finds him out <gasps> in life and beats him up. No, Tupac. Uh... So that's why he so goes to, he. that's when he gets 15 days in jail and the judge is like, uh, what was the judge's point? The judge was like, um, you're not. You're telling me right now that you are remorseful because mm-hmm. Tupac gets up and he's like, hey, I just went like, I'm remorseful. I feel bad and I'm, I didn't go about that in the right way. Like, he's very charming. He's yeah. saying all the right things. And the judge is like, immediately after you beat this guy up, you went on to Yo MTV Raps and <laughs> bragged about beating him up. You don't feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> You're, you feel bad you got caught. Yeah. <laughs> so then on... The night of November 30th, 1994, mm-hmm. so all in that same kind of time period, the day before, so the next day, he's supposed to go to trial and get the verdict yes. for the sexual assault case. Mm-hmm. Um, he is at Quad Recording Studios in Manhattan, and he is robbed, him and the people he's with mm-hmm. are robbed. He's shot five times. Mm. Uh in the lobby of this recording studio. So he believes the whole thing is a setup. So at the same time, maybe you have some clarity on this too. Mm-hmm. In this recording studio, you've got Tupac recording with his crew mm-hmm. and you have Biggie and P. Diddy. P. Diddy mm-hmm. are also there and also yeah. recording separate from Tupac. Yeah. Like they're so, not together. So Tupac was like given this opportunity by Jimmy Henchman uh, Rosman. Rosemond um, and he's like Tupac just spit a verse on this uh, track and I'll give you $7,000 and he's like oh yeah and so he goes with his crew and as they're coming up to the building somebody from the studio pops their head out and they're like hey Tupac come on up Biggie's up here recording with Diddy and Tupac's like oh cool and he walks in because they're friends because they're friends and he walks into the lobby and he like he sees one dude like sitting down at a desk like in, in the lobby and he's like in all camo which isn't 
weird because that neighborhood and Biggie's neighborhood, people wear all camo. Okay. And so they're waiting for the elevator and then they just get ambushed. And it's a bunch of dudes, faces covered with camo. They pull out guns. They um they start asking for all their like jewelry and their wallets yeah. and stuff. But Tupac starts to bring out his gun and so he gets shot in the thigh and then everyone then, yeah, then he, he gets, gets shot, shot five times. Yeah. Which shot later, him in his hand. Later forensic I don't know if this is true. I don't remember where I read this, but one forensic report was saying that it kind of looked like it was a self-inflicted shot to the Because he's so bad at holding guns? Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> that was it. But then he crawls into the elevator, and he pushes the number in, and he takes the elevator all the way up to the studio, and he like has himself upright at this point, and he walks into the studio covered, covered in, blood. in blood. And I think... From Tupac's perspective, when he got onto that f- to studio floor, he said that Biggie and Titty had... had oh, no. <laughs> that's, that's the clip for the end. There's so oh. many. There's so many. Biggie and Titty. Biggie and Titty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So from Tupac's uh, perspective, when he ca- came up out of the elevator, he saw Biggie and he saw Diddy's face, and they looked so surprised to see him in his eyes. It Wouldn't can yes, I interject? Yes, one hundred percent. Yes, <laughs> that you're probably gonna look a little surprised that your friend looks like they're dead. Yes, one hundred percent. That they just got shot. Because think it's loud you're in the studio. You're covered in blood. Yeah. My face is going to be, you're covered in blood. I, you uh, look dead. Yeah. but Not, t- you're here. Yeah. You're alive. That's what Tupac took it as, though. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Tupac can be very observant, but also. <laughs> um. So, you know, obviously, Puffy and Biggie denied any involvement in the yeah. crime. Um, I don't... I can I can get into the next conspiracy with you know anybody. Oh, I got a, I got a conspiracy theory. But at I the just end. I don't think Biggie and Puffy had anything no, to do with that. Biggie, I truly really think respected him. Biggie and Tupac were friends, and there was this rivalry, but it was for the business. It I was think fake in, in Tupac and to Biggie's mind. But the thing is, they had they they were part of this rap industry, and they let in actual gang members mm-hmm. into their crew. Oh yeah. Which they could not control. Mm-hmm. And it just ballooned out of control. Um, so that happens. And then Tupac goes to jail. And the next day, he's yeah. found guilty and goes to jail. And so I feel like not only did prison mess with Tupac's mind, but I think Tupac was in his head. He was alone for most of his day. And Valid. he truly felt that B and, and Diddy I do. I agree with you. This. I think and, he truly thought that. And that's when he got in touch with suge knight and suge knight came out to the jail and that's when he signed with death row Records. yeah so he's in jail when i want to say it was all eyes on me one of his albums is out mm-hmm. and it's climbing the chart it's like one of his most successful albums and he's in jail and like he said like there'd be like guards trying to make fun of him and he'd be like walking down the hall they'd be like oh you're not rapping now he'd be like did you check the billboard charts i'm like number 10 right now <laughs> Because <laughs> he loves shit talking. Yeah, he'd have like, uh, like magazines would come into like he'd be like, I'd read about myself and how well the album's doing in jail. That's crazy. But yeah, so apparently like shit- yes. Oh, so he's in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's watching all that go down. And like meanwhile, you have this whole other like I don't think it was when he was in jail. I think it was a little bit before. But like he's got Dan Quayle, the vice president of the United States, being like, what is Interscope? Like we have 
legitimate companies, you know, Interscope Records is putting out albums with this filth talking about like he's bringing up ice tea cop killer and he's bringing up tupac songs and he's like this is crazy um so there's all this like heat coming out like so the record companies that he's with aren't like they're also kind of trying to figure out what they're going to do with him and like how do you promote something that's get that is super popular is obviously going to make you a ton of money but is also getting all this weird backlash and criticism um and then tupac now has this like He's because I think there's other stuff going on because he has a bail that needs to be paid mm-hmm. when he's in. Yeah. So go ahead. Uh, so it's a high bail. It's like one point four million. Yeah. One point nine million. Something and so like that. Suge Knight hears about him and he goes and sees him. He goes to see him quite a bit mm-hmm. in jail and he's like, "Join us. Join Death Row Records, and I'll I'll post your bail. Like I'll get you out." And Tupac's like, "Yes, if you, we go after Biggie and Diddy." So Death Row at the time had Dr. Dre and mm-hmm. Snoop Dogg, mm-hmm. and it was very West Coast. Like, Suge Knight had ties to the Bloods, mm-hmm. which, what did I tell you? There's some other name I'd never heard Fuh. of. Pier- no. <laughs> like soup? Uh, Piru's? I'll have to look it up. There's another term that's used for the Bloods that I'd never yeah. heard of um, that I think police officers tend to use more often. But... Uh, so he has all these gang ties mm-hmm. with the Bloods. He's got Dr. Dre. He's got Snoop. He's like, come join us. And you're saying that he's like, yeah, as long as we're going after Biggie. Yeah. Because yeah. he's been sitting in jail mm-hmm. stewing about it. Yeah. And so essentially, Suge Knight gets him out of jail. Okay. Um, and in the meantime, I can't remember what award ceremony it was, but Suge... Source Awards. Source Awards? Okay. Yeah, so definitely Source Awards. So Suge Knight gets up and accepts an award. But he essentially is like... We're Death Row Records. We back Tupac. Yeah. And like, there's people in the crowd who are booing. The whole, because everything that takes place in New York. Yeah. So you've got, like, just to put Diddy up against Suge, Suge comes across as such a thug. Yeah. And Diddy comes across as a professional businessman. Businessman. Yeah. yeah. And so you got Suge up there who's just like straight up throwing it down. Mm-hmm. And he's essentially like, Hey, if you want to make these albums and videos and you don't want the producer all up in your videos uh-huh. and all yeah, up in your taking songs, all the credit, yeah. take, like come to death row uh-huh. and everyone's booing. They're not happy about it. And he did it on it. his turf. Yes. Yeah. Then, then Snoop's getting all weird and Snoop's up there with his little cane and he's like, <laughs> the East Coast guy ain't got no love for Snoop Dogg. East Coast don't have no love for Dre and he's going crazy. Yeah. There was like lines were drawn yeah. in the sand, which you could say is people selling it mm-hmm. do you want it like yeah, that yeah, yeah easily could just be selling it mm-hmm. um but then you have Puff- puffy comes up afterwards and he's like i'm the producer that was spoken about earlier tonight and i'm gonna say you know blah 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 and then there's a little bit more cheers than jeer because again it's very yeah coastal yeah um so all of that source awards were crazy people would get shot outside the source Award. source awards were nuts for a while i feel like it's definitely mellowed out <laughs> but it was nuts so i didn't know that that's crazy um, okay, so I'm going to jump back into Biggie. So, but now he's... The Police no- would wait to get people on warrants at the Source Awards. Oh, that's <laughs> not... Come on. I'm at an award ceremony. Come <laughs> down. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the Notorious B.I.G. But I'm not going to say that. I'm going to keep saying Biggie. <laughs> so Biggie marries R&B singer Faith Evans. Mm-hmm. And they met on a photo shoot. And just days later, they get married. Oh, days. Days. Days later. And uh, a month after they got married, his debut album, Ready to Die, releases in September of 1994, um, which is certified gold within two months, double platinum the following year, and eventually quadruple platinum 
Son of a bunch of records. Yeah. Uh, Big Papa, the second of the album's four singles, is nominated (laughs) for a Grammy for Best Rap Solo Performance in the album, uh, in the album Ready to Die. Is, uh, yeah. So Faith gives birth to their son, Christopher C.J. Wallace Jr. on October 29th of 1996, which is a couple years later. Um, And so this is me getting into Biggie and Tupac's feud. Um, You brought up Faith Evans. Yeah. Oh, I'll get to Lil' Kim later. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about Faith Evans. Oh, what about Faith Evans? Tupac goes after Biggie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, you say you are a player, but I fucked your wife. Yeah. And he has this whole thing about uh-huh. how he had a thing with Faith Evans. And like in his video, he has like a fake Faith Evans and a mm-hmm. fake Biggie. Yeah. Like he goes after him. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like uh, Eminem in uh, Mariah Carey. <laughs> that feud is so funny to me. I absolutely, because I love both. I love that song. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I love her song. And then his rebuttal makes me cringe so hard. Uh-huh. It's great. So Biggie released uh, the single Big Papa. And this is just two months after um, the song that was released, Who Shot Ya? So when Tupac is in jail, oh, Who no. Shot Ya by Biggie comes out, and there's a lyric in there. Why would do that? But he recorded it way before, and he oh, didn't. Oh, it had nothing to do with him. It had nothing to do with him. Maybe he was recording it that night. Yeah. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And it had, so in Tupac's mind, he recorded it as a stab. How would you not think that? Yes, 100%. I would be just as paranoid as Tupac. Oh, I feel like I would be, I would yes. make all the same ridiculous. Yes. If I was Tupac, mm-hmm. and I'm living in that headspace. Uh-huh. I'm th- I'm thinking that I I see where both of them are, are yeah. were coming from, but it's but which is other, so infuriating. Here's the flip part: if you know Biggie, you got to kind of know that's not who he is. I feel at one point they should have been able to call each other. Yeah, but then you're like you're so in your head at that point. You know, yeah, you know the answer is always communication. Oh my god, <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> but then you're like, no, they're they're lying to me. Yeah. Um, this is why I'll probably never be in a rap feud. Yeah. <laughs> this this is why? Okay. Yeah. Um, so obviously Tupac gets furious and he releases uh, a diss track called Hit Him Up the following year, which he claimed to have slept with Biggie's wife. Yeah. Um, so Tupac thinks that Biggie was the one who had him shot up at the music and, studio. And keeps jab, like jib-jabbing about it, yeah. which I'm sure doesn't sit well with Biggie, where he's mm-hmm. like, I didn't try to kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Knock it off. But uh, a lot of people think that Haitian Jack was the one who sent out the hit to Tupac because ha- Haitian Jack was the one in, he was the, in the hotel room. in the sexual assault case and Tupac kept mentioning him in the news. So Haitian Jack was because like... Because Tupac's version of the story is, mm-hmm. I didn't protect her from bad guys. Mm-hmm. And Haitian Jack's like, well, you call me a bad guy? You mm-hmm. saying I did it? Mm-hmm. Didn't like it. Yeah. And that's his turf. Haitian, that's where Haitian Jack lives. And his crew and Biggie, is in Camo. And Biggie was Camo. like, don't mess with Haitian Jack. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, that's all going on. But Biggie's next album releases. And it's on August 29th of 1995 as part of a group called Junior Mafia. Um, and he had formed this group to mentor young rappers, including Little Kim, with whom that's he right. would later have an affair. Little Kim. Mm-hmm. Um, that year, he also collaborated with Michael Jackson and R. Kelly. <laughs> Your face. <laughs> at first, at first, when he said Michael Jackson, I was like, "Woo!" Like, because I thought your face was like Michael Jackson. He's huge. And then he said R. Kelly, and I went, "Oh, I get oh, it." Yeah. There was a oh, we I can cut it. this, but um, Michael. Uh, 
Biggie went to Michael Jackson's recording studio with a guy named Little Cease or something like that. And um, Michael Jackson wanted some private time with a younger kid. And Biggie was like, one one report was like, I'm not comfortable with him with little kids. Because Michael Jackson had just started going through allegations Uh and stuff. So all that's going on. And so by the end of 1995, the Notorious B.I.G. is the biggest selling solo male artists on the billboard charts not only in hip-hop but in pop and r&b too um so biggie begins working on his second uh studio album in september of 1995 and he continues into the following year but he runs into some trouble in march of 1996 um he's arrested after chasing two autograph hunters with a baseball bat in manhattan do you know what autograph hunters are i didn't get deep deep into it but essentially there's this group of people who go after autographs like that's their career like they that's make lame. it they make it their point to like make sure they go to every signing or like follow celebrities until they get autographs so they can sign it or sell it, it sounds like coupon people <laughs> Sounds like a paparazzi version of the coupon people. Yeah, yeah. They just seem very aggressive. So yeah, I kind of see, get, yeah. Get a job. Um, so he chases them with a baseball bat. He threatens to kill them, and he sends to hundred. <laughs> <laughs> you just did a spit take. Are you okay? <laughs> I, don't know, I just thought that was really funny. Why? I don't know. Because he's threatening to kill him. I just yeah. The all of it's silly. If you zoom way out, yeah. Asking someone for their autograph as mm-hmm. a profession is ridiculous. Yeah. And then being so mad that someone wants your autograph because you know they're selling it and they don't, mm-hmm. they're not a fan of yours, that you're going to chase them to beat them with a baseball bat is also ridiculous. I mean, I think of it as Britney's... You snapped. He snapped. Br- Britney's breakdown, you know? Everyone's in your face constantly and you just want a second to yourself to have brunch. Like, let me have brunch. Yeah. Like, I get it. I might do that in a couple of years when we're rich I, and famous. I, I, <laughs> I can remember laughing so hard at the bald Britney with a umbrella photos. And like they still make me smile cuz it's silly. Yeah. But it is so like so when sad. You really it is so deeply troubling and yes. sad. Yes. Yes. But that's the that's the part of me that I always know was a little bit of a bad person. I'll always think it's a little, you laughed I'll, I'll, I'll always think it's a little funny. <laughs> So this happens to Biggie and he goes to court and he's sentenced to 100 hours of community service. Um, months later, police raid his house in New Jersey and they find 50 grams of weed and four automatic weapons. Um, that same summer, he is charged with beating and robbing a friend of a concert promoter at a New Jersey nightclub. And then in the fall, he's arrested again for smoking weed in his car in Brooklyn. He's just living his life. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to toss it back to you because this is kind of when Tupac is coming back into the picture. Okay, so uh, we know that Tupac went to jail and had all his issues with the sexual assault. In 1995, the assault case is on appeal. Okay, so he's been found guilty. There's jail time, but he's appealing that uh, conviction. So because he has so many legal, like he's a rich dude and he's sold a bunch, like he's definitely a rich dude, but because his legal fees are so high and I imagine... He's got money tied up in other things or he's blown it on stuff. He can't raise the $1.4 million bail. So we've alluded to this earlier. He's got this big bail and he can't pay for it. So he's been in jail for nine months. Um, He's released from prison because Suge Knight, CEO of Death Row Records, posts his bail. 
Um, this is what you had talked about earlier. Like they had like there's some like handwritten contract mm-hmm. between the two of them that he's going to go be a death row uh, artist. So he releases three albums under death row or that's what he's agreed to is that he'll release three albums. Um, on April 5th, 1996, a judge sentences him to 120 days in jail for violating uh, for violating the terms of release of his bail. So he goes out in bail with Ugh. death row and then he obviously smokes weed or does something yeah. and ends up back in for 120 days. So on February 13th, 1996, he's released uh, his fourth solo album, All Eyes on Me. And this one is a double album, uh, first and second of his three album commitments. So kind of in one knockout, he gets two of the three out because mm, mm-hmm. um, it's, I guess, a, a longer album. Um, it sells 9 million copies. It's super popular. So in all of that, you have, so this is when he puts out Hit Em Up, which is the beef track with Notorious B.I.G. So now he's out of jail. He's got this album out. Now he's like restarted this beef with Biggie. Um, and I feel like there was a, a Vibe magazine article, like an interview that he did where he was like, Biggie, like, Biggie and Puffy tried to have him murder, like, and just went off in this article. And the article, like, changed a couple names to not, because, like, from a journalism mm-hmm. standpoint, you just can't say, like, super inflammatory things. Um, but ultimately, like, Biggie and Puffy get cleared really early by police. And mm-hmm. they're like, they just really don't have anything to do with this. But the beef kind of still continues. Um, so then... Uh, they, I want to say that there's outlier people that are getting beat up and or killed in you the still process. Have, well, and you still have blood crips yeah, yeah, things yeah. going on. Um, this is just kind of a funny aside. According to a former Death Row Records sound engineer, this is Rick Clifford said this, that Tupac was reading for the role of Mace Windu. This is around the time that George Lucas was holding auditions for Star Wars, the, <gasps> the prequels. Are you serious? The role ultimately went to Samuel L. Jackson. Whoa! Could you imagine if that was Tupac? It it seems crazy. That would have been a whole... I try to imagine what two Like, if Tupac and Biggie were still around, like, what the mm-hmm. music industry would look at, yeah. like, look like. like the what, scene would be so different. So different. It would be... Di- yeah. Yeah, I wonder. Like, would be different. <laughs> yeah, mu- music would be super different, and then you got to wonder what roles he would have gotten. Yeah, because he was good. Yeah, and then you got to think like who didn't get them, and maybe that was what made them. But mm-hmm. it would have gone to. It's crazy when you think how different a role could have gone. Mm-hmm. Like on any like there's show like you look at Friends and you're like, oh, Courtney Cox read for Rachel, and then ended up with Monica. Like there's yeah. all these slight little changes where you got to think like. How many times the casting directors get it right and you mm-hmm. don't really understand how right they got it? Yeah. Because you really only see it where you're like, why would you cast that person and it didn't work? Yeah. Okay, so uh, this is another little, like, fun little film thing about Tupac. So director John Singleton, uh, he said that he wrote the script for his film Baby Boy for Tupac. Oh. He had him in mind for the lead role. That was going to be his movie. And eventually... Because it didn't get made till 2001, Tyrese ended up being the the star of that movie. Um, but that originally that was supposed to be like Tupac's movie. Where he Whoa. was going to star in it. That role was written for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, this is, okay, so I'm, I'm kind of in my tidbits section here. So in a 1995 interview, Tupac said, quote, 
I love Shakespeare. He wrote some of the rawest stories, man. I mean, look at Romeo and Juliet. That's some serious ghetto shit. You got this guy, Romeo from the Bloods, who falls for Juliet, a female from the Crips, and everybody in both gangs is against them. So you have to sneak out, and they end up dead for nothing. Real tragic stuff. And it's like a, yeah. it's a funny way to take that. Yeah. Um, he had friends. He Because he got into movies, he had some kind of friends you wouldn't think that he'd have. But he was good friends with Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm. So there's that whole, like, Mike Tyson fight, like, after Mike won. So we'll get to that. But, like, when Mike won, like, there's pictures of Suge and Tupac, like, at the side of the ring, congratulating him, hugging him, like... Chuck D, rapper Chuck D, Marlon Wayans, Jim Carrey. Oh. Rosie Perez, uh, Snoop Dogg, obviously, Freddie Fox. Uh, and he befriended Alanis Morissette. Okay. And later in an interview, it came out that they were planning to open a restaurant together. No way. Isn't that What kind of restaurant? Did I don't say? know. Oh, that's cool. Alanis Morissette and Tupac owning a restaurant. Do you know who Rosie Perez introduced Tupac to? Who? Madonna. And they dated briefly. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. So when he was in jail, Madonna wrote to him and either Tupac kind of joked about it. So either she was supposed to come visit him and didn't uh-huh. or she was never going to. But it became rumor to the guards that Madonna was going to come visit him. Uh-huh. So they let Tupac take an extra shower. <laughs> That's some, like, yeah. good looking out. And then Tupac, then, like, she never came. Aww. And he was like, but I got that extra shower. <laughs> <laughs> got all the naughty bits clean. Yep. Oh. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> so he, when he, I think this was kind of his, like, in jail, out of jail. He briefly married Keisha Morris. Um, but that, like, he married her in April of 95. And by the end of March of 96, they're already divorced. So briefly married. Is that, who is that? Um, Like a lot, like a. She doesn't get mentioned much. Oh, okay. I feel like he had known her for a long time, but I feel like either she was cool with him not being monogamous or it was very on again, off again. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but then, okay, so he notoriously, I don't know what interview it was in or what uh, publication, but we had talked about this a while back. He had on record been like, because he was like, you know what? My mouth just gets me in so much trouble. I just say shit and I don't think about it and I'm I'm wrong. I won't always say I'm wrong. Sometimes I'll own up to it because sometimes I just spout stuff off and I'm like, ugh, and I just walk away from it. He had in an interview been like, Quincy Jones needs to quit messing with white women. Mm, okay, I remember this. And yeah. he had this whole thing about how Quincy Jones doesn't need to be dating white. And like, because Quincy was married to actress Peggy Lipton. So Quincy and Peggy have kids. And so they've got mixed race kids mm-hmm. who are half black, half white. And one of them is Rashida Jones mm-hmm. of like, uh, Parks and Rec fame and like fucking Rashida Jones. So she has an older sister, uh, Kadada Jones. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you say her name, Kadada Jones. So Tupac goes spouting off and starts talking about how Quincy Jones should not be with white women. And Rashida takes personal offense to that. She's like, that's my dad and my mom you're talking about. I am their offspring. And she's kind of young. And so, like, she goes, like, back at him, like, you're ridiculous. That's an ignorant way to think. And, like, so there's, like, beef between, like, a teenage girl and Tupac for a little <laughs> while. Then Tupac meets her sister at some sort of awards whatever. Um, and he's like, oh, she's fine as hell. I don't think I care anymore. And, like, majorly backpedals. So he starts dating Rashida Jones' sister, uh, Rashida Jones's sister, Kadada. Uh 
Drea, are you on the edge of your seat? Yeah. Good. Um, unfortunately, this is where the episode ends. What? Why? Because we're already at like an hour and 15 minutes. Uh-huh. And there's still another like hour and a half left. Yeah. So this is part one. Part one, you guys. And then part two, come on back because that's when we're going to dive into both the murder of Tupac and Biggie. Yeah. So this episode was who was Tupac, who was Biggie, mm-hmm. them meeting, them being friends, it turning sour. And when we come back in next week's episode... It'll be the murder. Things are going to take a turn. All right, guys. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. As always, on our talent was Jackie Andrea. Uh, be sure to check out our Instagram at Killer Cocktails Podcast or stop by our website, KillerCocktailsPodcast.com, for up-to-date information, photos, contests, and more. Our logo was created by Michelle Firm, whose amazing art can be found at MichelleFirmDesign.com. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlus. And we'll be back next week on Hashtag Murder Mondays. <laughs>